ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah We praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness And we seek refuge in Allah From the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray And whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is servant and his messenger I'd like to begin this evening in this insha'Allah which will be the last lecture concerning the sharh of Lummat al-Irtiqad al-Hadi ila Sabil al-Rashad by al-Imam Abu Muhammad Abdullah ibn Ahmed ibn Muhammad ibn Qudama rahimahullah with the explanation of Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymin hafizahullah may Allah protect and preserve him in this uh, before beginning the points related to lecture number 23 this evening we'd like to quickly review the points which we took in the last lecture that is point number 92 the saying of al-imam ibn Qudama concerning al-bid'ah innovation and the people of bid'ah he said وَمِنَ السُنَّةِ هِجْرَانِ أَهْلُ الْبِدْعَةِ that it is from the sunnah from the way of the Prophet وسلم, and the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to boycott or to abandon the people of innovations and to be distinguished from them, to separate ourselves from them and also avoiding any type of arguing or disputation in the matters of the deen وترك النظر في كتب المبتدعة والإصغاء إلى كلامهم and also from the sunnah from the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is avoiding looking at or reading or studying the books of the innovators and listening attentively to their speech or what they have to say وكل محدثة في الدين بدع and every newly invented matter in the deen, everything that has been added to the deen of Allah which doesn't have a foundation in the Qur'an and the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, as understood by his companions, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum all of it is bid'ah, innovation and every innovation as the Prophet wasallam said every innovation leads astray and every going astray or misguidance is in the hellfire and we mentioned here the meaning of hijran uh, that it means to abandon or to leave something and here the intended meaning is abandoning or boycotting 
the people of innovation uh, not loving them or having alliance or allegiance with them not greeting them or visiting them uh, or visiting their sick and so on yeah, and in separating ourselves from them completely and the Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen said that a boycotting the people of Bid'ah is, is obligatory based on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Mujadila verse 22 لا تجد قوما يؤمنون بالله واليوم الآخر يوادون من حاد الله ورسوله that you will not find people who believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the last day loving uh, those who oppose Allah and his messenger and uh, also the Shaykh mentioned the incident that took place in the time of the Prophet وسلم, with Ka'b ibn Malik radiallahu anhu and those who were with him who remained behind from the battle of Tabuk and how the Prophet وسلم, ordered the people to avoid them, to boycott them and not even to give them greeting. The Shaykh makes an exception to the general rule as the scholars of Ahl Sunnah have made that avoiding or boycotting the Ahl Bid'ah is the general rule and the exception to it is the person who sits with them or speaks with them in order to correct them to show their error and to point them to the truth and to correct their ways and that is limited to those who are capable of making clear the truth my proofs my clear proofs from the Quran Sunnah and other proofs and who go to them with the intention of actually correcting them otherwise they should be avoided also he talked about al-jidal wal khusum or al-khisam fi deen arguing and disputing in the deen and he mentioned that this arguing and disputing in the deen is divided into two categories one its objective is to confirm the truth and to show the falsehood of the people of error and this one is obligatory or at least mustahab to do yeah, I need to go to those people to argue and dispute with them for the sake of calling them to Allah based on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Nahl chapter 16 verse 125 ila sabili rabbika bil hikmati wal mawaidatil hasana wajadilhum billatihi ahsan invite to the way of your Lord with wisdom and beautiful teaching and argue with them in ways that are best the other type of argumentation and disputation it is arguing and disputing out of uh, resistance to the truth or rejecting or refusing to accept the truth defending oneself or defending falsehood and this is the arguing and disputing that is blameworthy and prohibited the second point that Al-Imam Ibn Qudama mentioned is point number 93 وَكُلُّ مُتَتَمِّنْ بِغَيْرِ الْإِسْلَامِ وَالسُنَّةِ مُبْتَدِعِ That everyone who names themselves or is called by something other than the names that refer to Islam and the Sunnah that they are innovators and he gave the examples كَالْرَاطِدَ that is the Shia وَالْجَحْمِيَ وَالْخَوَارِجْ وَالْقَبَرِيَّ وَالْمُرْجِعَةِ وَالْمُعْتَزِلَةِ وَالْقَرَّانِيَّ وَالْكُلَّابِيَّ and all of these groups uh, are examples of the people who deviated in the past and he said and the other groups that are similar to them these are the groups the sects of deviation and the groups of innovation may Allah protect us and preserve us from those groups and one of the things that we want to talk about tonight 
related to this point because the points of tonight are related to this and it is that all of these groups of deviation the reason why they are considered to be Ahl Bid'ah it is because of their innovation in the fundamentals of the deen not errors in secondary matters of fiqh or jurisprudence but in the matters of aqidah and the foundation of the deen they have deviated in their foundation otherwise if somebody makes an error or a mistake in secondary matters in the matters of jurisprudence then we don't consider such a person as an innovator but innovation or the people of innovation are primarily those whose innovation is in the foundations of the deen and this is where the problem and the division of the ummah comes from when the people innovated in the usul in the aqidah or the foundation of islam as opposed to those who erred who made mistakes in the ijtihad in the secondary matters of fiqh or islamic laws and the shaykh says in his explanation shaykh muhammad bin salih uthaymeen that the signs of ahl bid'ah the main signs are three and he said that they describe themselves with other than Islam and the Sunnah based on the innovations that they have innovated in their sayings or their actions or their beliefs and also that they are fanatical in sticking to their opinions and they refuse to return to the truth even when it becomes clear to them and the third sign is that they hate and dislike the Imams or the leaders of Islam uh, of every time and all these signs are obvious and apparent and the people of Bida of the past and the people of Bida of today and then the Shaykh mentioned each of those groups and a brief description containing them or concerning them tonight Al-Imam Ibn Qudama uh, talks about another type of difference or separation of the people and its ruling is different than the previous type of separation. Here, Al-Imam Ibn Qudama says in point number 94, وَأَمَّا بِالنِّسْبَةِ إِلَىٰ إِمَامٍ فِي فُرُوءَ الدِّينِ كَالتَّوَاعِفِ الْأَرْبَعِ فَلَيْسَ بِمَذْمُومٍ In this case, Al-Imam Ibn Qudama is saying, as opposed to those groups, and the people who identified themselves with them the people who deviated in the fundamentals of the deen he said as for those who ascribe themselves or link themselves to an imam one of the imams in the furu of the deen that is in the secondary matters of the deen in the furu as for those who identify themselves with any one of these Imams and the most famous of them are the four Imams who are well known to us who he refers to here as those four groups meaning the Imam Abu Hanifa and Al-Imam Malik and Imam Ash-Shafi and Imam Ahmed Rahimahumullah may Allah have mercy on all of them as for those who identify themselves or link themselves or ascribe themselves to one of the Imams in the secondary matters the, the matters or issues of jurisprudence such as the four schools of law this is not something blameworthy it is not blameworthy we don't blame someone for identifying themselves with one of the four madhabs or any of the madhabs of the legitimate scholars of Ahl Sunnah and Jama'ah in the secondary matters of Islamic jurisprudence if somebody refers to themselves as a Shafi'i or Maliki or Hanbali or Hanafi 
meaning that they follow the rulings in secondary matters of jurisprudence according to one of those schools of law or one of those imams then there is no blame on them it is not a blameworthy thing it's permissible فَإِنَّ الْإِخْتِلَافِ فِي الْفُرُوعِ رَحْمَةٌ فَذَالِي اختلاف or differences of opinion in the secondary matters الفروع it is a mercy a رحمة and here الفروع it is the opposite of الأصول الأصول is the fundamentals the foundations and الفروع are the secondary matters that branch from them or are based upon them فَإِنَّ الْإِخْتِلَافِ الْفُرُوءِ رَحْمَةٌ Differences in the secondary matters is a mercy وَالْمُخْتَلِفُونَ فِيهِ مَحْمُودُونَ فِي إِخْتِلَافِهِمْ And those who differed in these secondary matters that is the trustworthy qualified mujtahid scholars of the Muslim Ummah those who are qualified to make ijtihad they have the right to make ijtihad because of the level of their knowledge. Those trustworthy, qualified, mujtahid scholars from amongst the Muslim ummah, he says here, وَالْمُخْتَلِفُونَ فِيهِ يعني those who differ in the secondary matters, محمودون في اختلافهم They are praised. They are praised, not blamed for their differences. مُثَابُونَ في اجتهادهم And they are rewarded in their ijtihad. يعني they are given a reward for their striving to reach the correct opinion because their ijtihad is based on sincere intention to find the truth so when they have a correct intention and they make the proper ijtihad then they are rewarded for their ijtihad even if they err if they make a mistake they are given a reward one and if they are correct in their ijtihad they are given two rewards one for the ijtihad the effort that they made and one for reaching the correct opinion so they are rewarded for the ijtihad. And finally he says, وَإِخْتِلَافُهُمْ رَحْمَةٌ وَاسِعًا Their ikhtilaf or their differences, it is a vast mercy, it is a great mercy. وَإِتِّفَاقُهُمْ حُجَّةٌ قَاطِعًا And their agreement, those things that they agree upon, it is a decisive hujjah, proof. It is a proof in the deen. And if they agreed on something, then we say their agreement is in fact a proof that is decisive, that the Muslims must follow. Their difference is a mercy, and their agreement is a proof. Tell me what they differ about is not necessarily a proof, but when they agree on something, then indeed it is a conclusive and decisive proof. Sheikh Muhammad, well, before going to the explanation, the final point of Imam Al-Qudama, point number 95, he makes dua and supplication at the end of the book that Allah protect us. And he says, Nas'alullah ayya'asimana min al-bid'ah wal-fitna that we ask that Allah protect us and preserve us from innovations and from trials and fitna. Wa and that he grants us life and he make our lives that we live according to Islam and according to the Sunnah. 
رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في الحياة and that he makes us to be amongst those or he causes us to be amongst those who strictly follow and adhere to the ways of the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم in this life that we be amongst those who adhere to the sunnah in this life ويحشرنا أو يحشرنا في زمرته بعد الممات and that he raised us up and that he raised us up amongst the company of the Prophet ﷺ after our death. And he calls us to live in accordance with his sunnah in our lifetime and to raise us up after our death in the company of the Messenger of Allah ﷺ by the mercy of Allah and by his favor. May Allah accept this dua. Then he said, وَهَذَا آخِرَ الْمُعَتَقِدَ وَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ وَحْدَهِ وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه وسلم تسليما. This is the end of the aqidah, the mu'atakid, the beliefs or the creed of the Ahl Sunnah wa Jama'ah, and all praises due to Allah alone. And we ask that Allah's praise amongst the assembly of angels and peace and safety and security be upon our master Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam as well as his family and his companions. Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen in his brief explanation of Lum'atul Ilatiqad Ma'alimad ibn Qadama mentioned in these final two points three points of importance. The first of them is Al-Khilaf, differences in the secondary matters, jurisprudence. The second of them is al-ijma'ah that is consensus, when there is agreement or consensus of the scholars and what is its ruling. And the third of them is al-taqlid, blind following. What is it and what is its ruling? Blind following of the imams in secondary matters of the deen. Concerning the first point, al-khilaf fil-furu'ah, Sheikh Muhammad Hafidullah says, the definition of al-furu'ah, al-furu'ah, it is the plural of farh, far'un, and it is linguistically that which is built upon something else. That which is built upon something else. It is called al-furu'ah. It means that there is a foundation, al-usul, and al-furu is built upon it. Some of the scholars said that al-furu is also that which branches out from something else. Like the branches of a tree are based upon or branch out from the roots of the tree. The root is the usul, and the branches is the furu. So the usul, it is the foundation, it is the source, and that which is built upon it or derived from it, it is al-furu. In the technical meaning, al-furu' it means that which is not related to al-aqa'id or al-aqidah, that which is not related to the aqidah, like the issues of al-tahara, al-salat, and similar matters. Yani al-furu' it means other than the matters of aqidah, issues such as purification and prayer and fasting and marriage and divorce and buying and selling government and so on. This is al-furu'ah, the matters other than the matters of aqidah. So what about differences in these matters? 
other than the matters of aqidah. There is no allowance for a difference in matters of aqidah. It is not acceptable. But in matters of jurisprudence, the secondary matters, he says concerning that, that the differences in these secondary matters are not blameworthy. It's not something blameworthy. It's acceptable. Since that difference is based upon niya khalifa, a pure intention. Yani the person is sincere in seeking the truth and they make ijtihad and another person also being sincere in seeking the truth makes ijtihad and they come to different conclusions. Therefore it's not blameworthy. Both of them have sincere intentions and both of them are really seeking the truth and they make the great effort, the proper effort to seek the truth but they came up with different conclusions. It's not something blameworthy. Uh, as opposed to the one who follows his desires or is fanatically sticking to the opinion of his group or his party or his personal feelings without consideration of the truth when it becomes clear to him. That is blameworthy. But when the person has a sincere intention and they make the proper, eff- proper effort to seek the truth, it's not blameworthy. This, he says, took place in the era or the time of the Prophet ﷺ and he didn't reject it nor did he speak against those who differed or who fell into differences in secondary matters. And an example that the Shaykh gives here is Ghazwatu Bani Qurayza, the uh, raiding party that was sent out by the Prophet ﷺ to the Jewish quarters of the tribe of Bani Qurayza. And that hadith is reported in Al-Bukhari in which the Prophet or it is said that the Prophet said لا يصلين أحد العصر إلا في بني كريزة That no one of you should pray the Asr prayer except in the quarters of Bani كريزة You shouldn't pray Asr until you have reached Bani كريزة فحضرت الصلاة قبل وصولهم فَأَخَّرَ بَعْدُهُمْ الصَّلَاةِ حَتَّى وَسَلُوا بَنِي كُرَيْذَ وَصَلَّ بَعْدُهُمْ حِينَ خَافُوا خُرُوجَ الْوَقْتِ So as it happened, they hastened towards the Jewish quarters who had violated the covenant or the agreement that they had made with the Prophet ﷺ and this is why he sent them to attack those people. Uh, the time for the prayer came, the after prayer and they had not yet reached Bani Qurayza. So some of them delayed the Asr prayer until they reached Bani Qurayza. And some of them performed the prayer when they feared that the time for the Asr prayer would elapse. They understood the instruction of the Prophet differently. Some of them understood literally, you should not pray except you reach Bani Qurayza. So they didn't pray. Even the time for the prayer elapsed, they didn't pray until they reached Bani Qurayza. And the others understood that the Prophet really intended that they should hasten to get to Bani Qurayza without delay. Not that they should delay the prayer out of its time. So when they saw that the time for Asa had come and perhaps it was going to elapse, then they, some of them stopped and they performed the prayer within its time before it elapsed. And in the end of the hadith, it's mentioned that the Prophet وَلَمْ يُنْكِرْ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمَ عَلَى وَاحِدٍ مِنْهُمْ That he didn't reject or refute any one of them. Yani he accepted the ijtihad of both of them according to their understanding since his instruction had the possibility of having either meaning. And they both 
both parties had sincere intentions and made ijtihad to understand the meaning and they acted upon the conclusion that they came to though they had different conclusions the Prophet ﷺ didn't blame either of them this hadith is reported in Bukhari in the book of Salat al-Khawf, the fear prayer uh, from the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar also of the reasons that the Shaykh says that differences of opinion in secondary matters is not blameworthy is because differences took place in the time of Sahaba during the Asr of Sahaba while many of the Sahaba were still around there were many differences of opinion amongst them in many secondary matters and they were the best of the Muslim Ummah so if differences took place amongst them then what do we expect from those who came after them who are less than them and also he says that another reason why difference of opinion in the secondary matters is not blameworthy is because differences of opinion in the secondary matters does not cause or it should not cause enmity and hatred and division of the Muslim unity as opposed to differences of opinion in al-usul any differences of opinion in al-usul in the fundamental matters and the matters of aqidah in fact does cause enmity and requires enmity and hatred and separation of the people based on their deviation in the fundamental matters but in the secondary matters there's no need for anyone to hate or have enmity towards another Muslim who holds a different opinion in the secondary matters the Muslims should not be disunited and separate themselves due to differences in secondary matters as we unfortunately find some of the people today differing about whether you should hold your hands on your chest or below your navel it's a secondary matter it doesn't invalidate the salat and therefore if someone holds another opinion based on their understanding sincerely seeking the truth and they came to that conclusion we shouldn't fight with one another and we shouldn't have enmity and hatred we should have tolerance and leniency after we discuss the issue and try to come to some agreement based on the Quran and Sunnah if we still don't agree then we tolerate one another and we don't divide the Muslims based on differences in secondary matters also the Shaykh says concerning the statement of Imam Ibn Qudama المختلفون فيه محمودون في اختلافهم that those who differ in these secondary matters يعني the legitimate scholars who are mujtahid for the right of ijtihad and they differ then they are praised they are given praise even in their differences and here the shaykh says this doesn't mean that ikhtilaf or difference is a praiseworthy thing that we, should, that we should be happy when people differ and praise it that's not the meaning but the meaning here that they are praised even in the ikhtilaf it means that even though ittifaq or agreement is better but if the people with sincere intention and proper ijtihad reach different conclusions then they should be praised for their good intention and they should be praised for their effort to seek the truth seeking the truth they should be praised for that even if they came to different conclusions but we are not saying here that يعني, it's good that people should differ and we praise it that's not the meaning it means that the scholars who differed they are praised for their effort and for their sincere intention to seek the truth uh, <clears throat> he says that what Imam Ibn Qadawa means here is to negate the idea that the scholars should be blamed when they differed we shouldn't blame them the scholars when they differed we shouldn't blame them because they have made the efforts to seek the truth and if any one of them erred 
then they are not to be blamed. In fact, Allah subhanahu or the Prophet made it clear that the scholars, when they make ijtihad, that they are actually rewarded even when they err. Uh, and he says, and this is because they made ijtihad and they were seeking the truth and they are praised for the ijtihad and they are praised for following that which appeared to them to be the truth yani that which they saw as being the truth even if they erred in it and here he says uh, also and this is based on in fact the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, that's reported in Bukhari and Muslim though the shaykh doesn't mention the hadith here the hadith is well known uh, that hadith, the wording according to Muslim إِلَىٰ اِجْتَهَدَ الْحَاكِمْ that if the ruler or the one who has authority over the Muslims makes ijtihad فَأَصَابَ and he reaches the correct conclusion فَلَهُ أَجْرَانِ then he gets two rewards وَإِنْ أَخْطَعَ فَلَهُ أَجْرٌ and if he makes a mistake then he gets one reward so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala encourages the Muslim scholars, the Mujtahid scholars, to make ijtihad. He encourages them to do it, even if they err. They shouldn't be afraid, but they should make ijtihad and try to seek the truth. The Muslims benefit from this. And the fact that Allah encourages it is proven by the fact that even if they err, Allah still gives them a reward for their ijtihad. So the ijtihad of the scholars, it is a praiseworthy thing and it is a rewardable action. Uh, then he says, the saying, of Imam Ibn Qudama and there are two statements in this point number 94 there are two statements of Imam Ibn Qudama that require some clarification his statement that verily the ikhtilaf illa al-ikhtilaf al-furuh rahma that differences in the secondary matters is a mercy wa illa ikhtilafahum rahmatun wasi'ah and verily their differences is a vast mercy these two statements the meaning of them needs clarification. Uh, the Shaykh says concerning this <coughs> that their difference is a mercy. It means that the action that took place, yani their ijtihad seeking the truth, comes under the mercy of Allah. It comes under the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala since Allah has not held them responsible for more than they have the ability to do. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't hold people accountable for more than they have the ability to do. And this is a mercy from Allah, that He doesn't hold us accountable for more than we have the ability to do. And the most that they have the ability to do is to make the intention pure and sincere for the sake of Allah, seeking the truth and make ijtihad. And if they erred in doing it, they did the best that they could, and Allah doesn't hold them responsible for more than that. This is a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah doesn't require them to do any more than uh, that which appears to them to be the truth to follow it. So there is no blame on them in this matter, yani in this ikhtilaf. This is the meaning of the ikhtilaf is a mercy, meaning that it falls under the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is merciful and pardoning. And also, it is part of the mercy of Allah, yani the, the ikhtilaf is a mercy because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His mercy and His bounty, He gives a reward to the mujtahid when He makes ijtihad 
if he is correct, he gets two rewards, and if he errs, he gets one reward. And this is indeed also a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is a mercy from him that he rewards the person uh, even when they err. And the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is related to this in Surah Al-Baqarah, لَا يُكَلِّفُ اللَّهُ نَفْسًا إِلَّا وُسْعَهَا Yani that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't hold a person responsible for more than they have the ability or capability to do. So here, one of the scholars, those who are qualified to make ijtihad, when they make ijtihad and do the best that they can, Allah doesn't hold them accountable for more than that. Uh, and in fact, He pardons their error and rewards them for their effort. He pardons their error and rewards them for their effort. Uh, also, Sheikh Salih ibn Abdul Aziz Ali Sheikh, who is presently the Minister of Islamic Affairs in Saudi Arabia, in one of his lectures concerning the, a brief explanation of Lumat al Aytiqad, he also commented on this and he said, the meaning or the summary of what he said, which I didn't have a chance to write it down, but I heard the lecture, and he said, that this statement of Ibn Qudama that ikhtilaf is a mercy it can be understood in more than one way if a person understands it to mean for example that the ijtihad of the scholars which leads to ikhtilaf yani which resulted in ikhtilaf that ijtihad it is a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that not the ikhtilaf itself, but the cause of it, the ijtihad. The ijtihad of the scholars is something that benefits the Muslims. So this is part of Allah's mercy. If the meaning of it is that the cause of the difference, meaning the ijtihad of the scholars, if that's what he means, it's a mercy, then indeed the ijtihad of the scholars is a mercy, even if it leads to differences of opinion. But if someone understands this to mean that ikhtilaf, differences of opinion is a mercy, yani alhamdulillah, uh, as some people said, Alhamdulillah, the scholars differed. There's many opinions. You can take whichever one you want. That's really a mercy from Allah. No, that's not correct. If that's what somebody means by this statement, ikhtilaf is a mercy, then it is wrong. Because this, because ikhtilaf, the ikhtilaf of the scholars, some of it, some of the opinions actually is in contradiction to the sunnah. And we can't say that which contradicts the sunnah is a mercy. The ikhtilaf itself, the wrong opinion. And some of it has actually been the cause of separation and disunity and division amongst the Muslims. And we don't say that separation and disunity amongst the Muslims is a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he said that we should look at this statement and try to understand the real meaning of it, the proper meaning of it. If somebody understands that having differences amongst the Muslims is a good thing, alhamdulillah we have a lot of different opinions, take which one you like, that's really a mercy, that's wrong. And there's a hadith with this meaning that is fabricated, is false, it is not authentic, that ikhtilaf fi'ummati or something of this meaning that it is a rahmah and it is not authentic hadith of the Prophet but we should understand the statement of Ibn Khudamah and you know, any of the scholars who make such a statement similar to this to mean that because of ikhtilaf, yani the ijtihad itself, it is a mercy from Allah that the scholars made ijtihad to help us, to guide us in the deen uh, and also, as Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen said, <coughs> that, uh, that the ijtihad of the scholars comes under the mercy of Allah. Yani that Allah is merciful to them, He pardons their error and rewards them for their 
correct conclusions. Also, Sheikh Sali said that the scholars, in reference to their uh, ishtihad, <coughs> he said that we should look at it uh, in light of the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards them for their effort, even if they err. But we should not follow them in their errors. And even though Allah rewards them for their ijtihad, even if they didn't reach the correct conclusion, it doesn't mean that we should follow the errors. But we should follow the correct conclusions and we should leave the errors. We should not follow the errors. If the evidence came to us and it became clear that the, the ijtihad or the conclusion of a particular scholar in a particular issue is wrong, we shouldn't follow it. We shouldn't follow it. Uh, as for those who follow the scholars, according to a madhab or whatever, he said that whoever follows the opinion of a scholar based on the evidence of that scholar that is convincing and they believe it really to be the correct opinion, this is praiseworthy. But whoever follows the opinion of the scholar, after the evidence became clear to them, contrary to the opinion of the scholar, and they still follow that scholar blindly, following him in contradiction to the clear evidence that came to them showing the error of that scholar, then this is blameworthy. So that those who follow the scholars of two categories also. Those who follow them based on evidence and they are convinced that it is the correct opinion is praiseworthy because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala requires us to follow the scholars. But whoever follows the scholar in his error after coming to know that it's wrong and the evidence becoming clear to you, then this is blameworthy. This is a summary of what Sheikh Sali ibn Abdul Aziz Ali Sheikh said concerning this matter, uh, this same matter of the ikhtilaf is a rahmah. <clears throat> Sheikh Muhammad ibn Sa'ad the second point that he deals with is al-ijma' al-ijma' or consensus of the scholars wa hukmuhu and its ruling what is the Islamic ruling concerning ijma' and ijma' is mentioned in the statement of al-imam ibn Qudama in point number 94 when he says وَإِخْتِلَافُهُمْ رَحْمَةٌ وَاسِعَةٌ وَإِتْتِفَاقُهُمْ حُجَّةٌ قَاطِعَةٌ That their differences are vast mercy and their agreement اِتْتِفَاقُهُمْ is a decisive or conclusive proof اِتْتِفَاقُهُمْ agreement of the scholars is what Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen is referring to here as اِجْمَاعٌ يعني when the scholars are in اِتْتِفَاق in agreement this is اِجْمَاعٌ consensus and this consensus he says concerning it uh, that ijma linguistically it means al-azm or al-ittifaq yani to be determined to do something or to agree upon something the meaning here that we are concerned with is al-ittifaq al-ijma linguistically means al-ittifaq agreement to be in agreement on something and the technical meaning istilahan it means ittifaq agreement al-ulama al-mujtahideen of the mujtahid scholars, those scholars who are on the level of ijtihad, who have high level of knowledge to make ijtihad, to make, and to strive and struggle to reach the correct opinion. Min ummati Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi those scholars from the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi this ijma we are talking about, not scholars from the previous nations, but the scholars from the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi ala hukmin shara'iyin, concerning a legal ruling. And that which they agreed upon concerning a legal ruling, بعد النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم after the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, meaning after his death, 
then that would stay beautiful after his death. Because in his lifetime, there is no need for ijma, uh, but we should go directly to the Prophet So here he said that ijma contains five points. Number one, ittifaq agreement. Number two, al-ulama al-mujtahideen, agreement of the mujtahid scholars. Number three, min ummati Muhammad from amongst the, the followers of Muhammad Number four, based on a hukum shari, a legal ruling, a legal ruling, they agreed upon a legal ruling by the Nabi after the passing of the Prophet that in his lifetime. And finally he says, hujjatun, and it is a hujjah, a proof. And if the scholars agreed on, in such a matter, then it becomes the ruling for ijma is that it is a proof that the Muslims accept and follow. And this is based on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah An-Nisa chapter 4 verse 59 And if you differ, then if you differ in any matter, refer to Allah and, his, and the Messenger. If you differ in any matter, refer to Allah and the Messenger. He said this is the proof, this is the proof of the fact that ijma or consensus, it is legally binding on the Muslims. Ijma is not mentioned in this ayah, but Allah and His Messenger are mentioned. These are the first two sources of Islam, the Quran and Sunnah. But the Shaykh understood from this ayah that this ayah is a proof for Ijma, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that if you differ in any matter, refer to Allah and His Messenger. Then we understand from that that if you don't differ, if you're in agreement, you don't need to refer to Allah and His Messenger, it's already a proof. It's a Ijma. Okay? So when there's difference, that's when you refer to Allah's message. But when there's agreement, ittifaq or ijma, no need to refer to the Qur'an and Sunnah. Therefore, he said, this ayah is a proof for ijma. And when the Muslims are in agreement with something, it is already a proof without going back to the Qur'an and Sunnah. And also, a proof for ijma, a clear proof, in clear words, is the hadith reported by Tirmidhi, where the Prophet said, لا تجتمع أمتي على ضلالة that my ummah would not agree upon that which is in error or astray my ummah would not come to an agreement upon that which is an error and this hadith is reported by a tirmidhi and Ibn Abi Asim in his book As-Sunnah Al-Hakim and Al-Mustadrat and so many others of the scholars on the authority of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah At-Tirmidhi said this hadith is hadithun gharib hadithun gharib <laughs> and we said that gharib it means it's one of the three categories of hadith ahad mashhur the lowest number of narrators in any level is three Hadith two and gharib one and we also said that hadith gharib in most cases is da'if but it can be authentic in this case actually the isnad as reported by Tirmidhi is gharib and it's da'if the isnad reported by Tirmidhi is da'if uh, as, re- as mentioned by Shaykh al-Bani in his taqreej of as-sunnah by Ibn Abi Asim but it has other uh, chains other than this chain, it has other chains of narratives, other asaneed, and amongst them is the one reported by Tabarani in his book Al-Kabir, and the Isnad for that one is Hassan. And Al-Haytham he said uh, concerning it that Al-Tabarani has narrated this hadith with two chains of narratives. One of them, the narratives are thiqat, good reliable narratives. In fact, they are the narratives 
are rijal al-sahih, the narrators that have been accepted and used by Imam al-Bukhari or Imam Muslim, except one of them, Marzuk, Mawla Ali Talha, and even though he was not one of the narrators for al-Bukhari, but he is fiqa, he is a reliable reporter. So that isnad is acceptable. And it also has, has other supporting narrations similar in meaning, such as the hadith reported by Abdul ibn Abbas, attributed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not cause my, my ummah, or he would not cause this ummah to come together in agreement on dalala, on that which is astray, and the hand of Allah is upon the jama'ah, the group. And this hadith is reported by Al-Hakim in his Mustadrak, and the first part of it, يعني, the important part of it, لا يجمع الله أمتي على الضلالة, that Allah will not cause my ummah to come together on dalala, has also been reported by a tirmidhi with a jayid or good isnad. And also, there are other reports similar in meaning as reported by Abu Mas'ud, uh, and that was collected by Ibn Abi Asim al-Tabarani, al-Hakim, and al-Hakim said the isnad is sahih, and the Dhahabi agreed with him. And al-Haytham he said, the narrators are all thiqat. And also al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani in his book, Al-Talkhis al-Habir, says that the isnad of this last report of Abi Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, it's isnaduhu sahih, is a correct isnad. So this is also a proof. And we discussed something here concerning the isnad of the hadith because of our studies in Mustalah hadith, just to give us some practical uh, demonstration and implementation of what we're studying in Mustalah hadith. Otherwise, it's sufficient for us to say that this hadith, although the chain in the Tirmidhi is gharib and is da'id, but it has supporting chains and other supporting reports of similar meaning to raise it to the degree of at least Hassan. Uh, the final point that Shaykh Muhammad bin Saleh al-Uthaymeen mentions is the point of at-taqlid, at-taqlid, blind following. And all of these t- topics, these three topics that we have discussed are important independent topics, but he's just going over them briefly. And we need to look into them further at another point, inshallah. Here he says at-taqlid, the definition of at-taqlid linguist- linguistically, it means to put a chain or a rope or a cord around the neck of the animal. Yeah, I need to pull it by this cord, <laughs> to pull the animal by his neck. Linguistically. Istilahan, in the technical meaning, it means ittiba'a qawli al-ghayr bila hujjah. It means following the opinion or the saying of someone else without any proof. Without any proof. Following the opinion of someone else without any proof. Or as some of the scholars said, accepting the opinion of someone else without knowing their evidence. Just accepting it without knowing what's the proof or without any proof. This is a taklid or blind following. That blindly following in the secondary matters is permissible, but with circumstances or with conditions. He said it is permissible لمن لا يصل and it's permissible to blindly follow a scholar for the one who doesn't have the ability independently and in and of themselves alone to reach the knowledge. They don't have the ability. Then in that case they can go to a scholar and ask them and take the opinion of the scholar. And this is based on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Nahl, chapter 16, verse 43, فَاسْأَلُوا أَحْلَ الذِّكْرِ 
in kuntum la ta'alamun. Then ask the people of zikr, yani the people of remembrance, meaning the ulama, the scholars, if you do not know. If you don't know, you don't have the ability to know, then it's permissible for you to ask the scholars. It's jayiz, it's permissible for those who are unable to reach the knowledge alone. And here, the shaykh says that the madahib al-mashhura, yani the four madahib that are well known, and they are not the only ones, but the ones that are well known that Al-Imam ibn Qadama refers to here as the, yani those who it's permissible for a person to link themselves to, identify themselves with in secondary matters, to follow one of those imams, they are, the first madhab is al-madhab al-Hanafi, and the imam of this madhab is al-imam Abu Hanifa, and Nu'man ibn Thabit, rahimahullah, who is the imam of the people of Iraq, and he was born in the year 80 after the hijrah, and he died in the year 150. And Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, born in the year 80 of the hijrah, and died in the year 150 at the age of 70. The second madhab is al-Maliki, al-Madhab al-Maliki, and the Imam of this madhab is al-Imam Abu Abdullah Malik ibn Anas, rahimahullah, the Imam of the Dar al-Hijrah, the people of Medina, and he was born in the year 93 of the Hijrah, and he died in the year 179, 29 years after Abu Hanifa, he died at the age of 86. And the third madhab is al-Madhab al-Shafi'i, and its Imam is Imam al-Imam Abu Abdullah, Muhammad ibn Idris al-Shafi'i rahimahullah who was born in the year 150 the year of the death of Abu Hanifa and Imam al-Shafi'i was born in the year 150 of the Hijrah and died in the year 204 the beginning of the 3rd century at the age of 54 and the fourth madhab is al-madhab al-Hanbali and its Imam is al-Imam Abu Abdullah Ahmed ibn Muhammad ibn Hanbal rahimahullah who died, or who was born in the year 164, and who died in the year 241, at the age of 77. Here, the Sheikh says that there are also other madhabs, not only these four, such as the madhab al-Zahiriyah, madhab al-Zahiriyah, the literalist, or madhab al-Zaydiyah, one of the madhabs of the Shia, but that one which was closest to the people of Sunnah. And Al-Madhab Al-Sufyaniyyah, referring, perhaps it appears as though he is referring to the great scholar Sufyan Al-Thawri, although there is another great scholar after Sufyan Al-Thawri, uh, Al-Imam uh, Sufyan Ibn Ayyina, but it appears as though he is referring to Al-Sufyan Al-Thawri, Rahimahullah. And there are other scholars also who lived in the time of the four Imams such as Al-Imam Al-Awza'i and Al-Imam Layth ibn Sa'ad and so many other scholars. Every one of them the Shaykh says we may take from what they have said as long as it is correct and we should leave what they said if it is error and that there is no infallibility for anyone except the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Finally, the Shaykh closes with dua. He said, we ask Allah to make us of those who hold fast to the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of His Messenger Muhammad Zahiran wa batinan. Openly and inwardly. Not only outwardly stick to the Sunnah, but also inwardly that we follow the Sunnah. And also that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cause us to die on that Sunnah, following it inwardly and outwardly. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes care of our affairs 
in this dunya and this world as well as in the akhirah and the next and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do not, does not cause our hearts to go astray after he has guided us and that he grant us uh, out of his bounty rahmah and that and verily he is the one who is generous in giving and this is based on the ayah of the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught us this dua Rabbana la tuzid qulubana بعد إذ هديتنا وحب لنا من دونك رحمة إنك أنت الوحاب أو أو لورد دونك هو الهاتف تديديت أفتى يوف قايدت أس and this is very important especially in the time that we are living in when fitna trials and confusion and division and separation amongst the Muslims is widespread that we ask Allah to protect us and to keep us on the right path to keep us to the sunnah and not allow our hearts to deviate after he guided us to the right way to give us a sabat firmness on the path and the Prophet ﷺ used to supplicate Ya Muqallib Al-Qulub O Allah the one who turns the heart Thabbit Qulubana or Thabbit Qalbi Ala Deenik or Ala Ta'atik make my heart or make our hearts firm on your deen or make our, my heart firm in obedience to you and this is the dua that we should supplicate with Ya Muqallib Al-Qulub Thabbit Qulubana Ala Deenik Make us firm on your deen and don't cause us to go astray after you have guided us. This is the end of what uh, the Shaykh mentions concerning this and he closes by saying Alhamdulillah kathira, praise be to Allah much in the way that our Lord loves and is pleased with in a way that is definitely due to him, uh, due to his generosity to us and Alhamdulillah, the one who only it is by his ni'mah that all righteous deeds are completed. Wasallallahu wasallama ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi. So this is what we close with. If there are any questions or comments, inshallah, uh, perhaps in the next few moments we can take any questions or comments or corrections. Otherwise, there are a few questions at the end of the handout. Perhaps we can look at them quickly. Uh, the first of them, what is meant by the expression al-furu and what is its opposite? Huh? The opposite is al-usul and the meaning of furu is what? Secondary matters or the branches of the deen, yani Islamic jurisprudence, matters other than aqidah. <coughs> when is ikhtilaf differing blameworthy and when is it not? We said that ikhtilaf is blameworthy when the people differ due to following their desires. In, in yani, ignoring the proofs and the truth when it came to them. And it's not blameworthy when people with sincere intentions make the proper, proper effort striving to seek the truth. If they differ then it's not blameworthy. Why are the scholars who differ praised even in their differences? They are praised for their effort, for the ijtihad they made and for their intentions of seeking the truth. They are praised for this even Yani, though they differ. Give an example of ikhtilaf in the era of the Prophet wasallam. The example the Shaykh gave is the incident of Ghazwatu huh? Bani Khurayza. And Sa'atul Asalam. Difference of understanding of what was the instruction of the Prophet wasallam, And he didn't blame either of them. Number five is referring to oneself as a Shafi'i or Maliki. The same as referring to oneself as a Ashari. Jahmi, Mu'tazili, Tijani, Naqshabandi 
Yani that is, is it blameworthy? Is referring to oneself according to the name of one of the Imams of the Madahid in the secondary matters of al furu Is it blameworthy like those who refer to themselves by the name Ashari, after Abu Hassan al-Ashari, who those people differed in the usul, in the matters of Aqidah, or uh, the Jahmiyyah, who referred to this man Jahm, or others, such as these Tijani, Naqshabandi, and so on. All of these deviations are in the fundamentals, the Aqidah, the usul, and therefore they are blameworthy. Whereas the one who refers himself by one of the madhahib, and that he follows that particular madhab in the secondary matters, it is not something blameworthy as long as he follows the opinions of the imam according to the best of his knowledge that are correct. But if he came to know that there is an error in the madhab, he shouldn't follow it. If he did follow it knowing that it's wrong, then indeed it would be blameworthy. What is the author referring to when he says the ittifaq, agreeing is a hujjah, qatiya, decisive proof? By ittifaq he is referring to al-ijma' that ijma' or consensus of the Muslim scholars is a concisive proof. What is the meaning of al-ijma' or consensus? We said that linguistically it means ittifaq or agreement and in the technical meaning it includes five points. Can you name some of them? Agreement, mujtahid scholars from the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu after the death of the Prophet in a, in, in related to a legal ruling, a hukm shari, a legal ruling. If they agree upon something that's not a legal ruling, then it's not ijma. Ijma is in the matters of legal rulings. Explain how verse 459, if you differ in any matter, refer to Allah and His Messenger, how is it an evidence that al-ijma is a source of Islamic law? Now, because if you differ in any matter, makes us to understand that if you don't differ, then there's no need to refer to the Quran and Sunnah. If you don't differ, if the Muslim scholars agreed on something, then they don't have to refer to the Quran and Sunnah. But the time to refer to Quran and Sunnah is when there's difference. So if there's no difference, then this is sufficient as a proof for the Muslims to follow. What is the definition of a taqlid and what is the ruling or hukm concerning it? The definition of taqlid. Now, the literal meaning is tying a rope or a chain or something around the animal's neck and its uh, technical meaning is now, following somebody else's opinion without proof or without knowing what the evidence is. Blind following. And its ruling is that it is permissible for the one who is incapable of knowing the truth, of reaching the correct proofs. It is for the one who is incapable. But the one who is capable is not allowed to make technique of any of the scholars, but they should themselves seek the truth based on the evidence of Quran and Sunnah. As many of the scholars said concerning following their opinions. Is it true that there are only four madhabs, schools of law in Islam? No, it is not true. There are many madhabs, but the four that are normally referred to are those uh, imams who had many followers spread throughout the earth and their opinions were collected and codified into books and passed down to us until today. Whereas there were other scholars who were equal to them in knowledge. In the time of Al-Imam Malik was Layt ibn Sa'ad rahimahullah who was a great scholar equal to Al-Imam Malik in knowledge or greater in knowledge. But his opinions and his madhab was not carried down so we don't hear about Al-Imam Layt. And likewise Al-Imam Al-Awza'i and other scholars such as Sufyan al-Thawri and even greater than them, the scholars from amongst the Tabi'een and the scholars from amongst Sahaba, radiallahu anhu, 
Okay, these are the end of the questions. And let me just refer you, though there's no chance to read those statements now, but let me refer you to the statements that Shaykh Muhammad Nasruddin al-Albani rahimahullah refers to from the four Imams in, his, in the introduction to his book, Sifat al Salat and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi the description of the prayer of the Prophet. In the introduction to that book, he mentions a number of things of the four Imams showing that they themselves didn't call people to blindly follow them. But in fact, on the contrary, they told people not to blindly follow them and not to take their opinion over the Sunnah. And if their opinion contradicts the Sunnah, to reject it. And that if any opinion came known to the people that's based on authentic hadith, then that's their opinion. And that that's their opinion in their life or in their death, meaning that if they came to know about it in their lifetime, they will follow it. And if they didn't came to know about it, but after their death, the people who followed them came to know about it, then that's their opinion. You should follow it, the authentic hadith. And these sayings are very important sayings of the scholars that we should look at in the introduction to Sifat al-Salat al-Nabi is a Saha al-Hadith for huwa madhabi this is the basis of those sayings that if there is an authentic hadith it is my madhab most of the imams said this or similar statements equal to their meaning and therefore we should follow the imams not only in their opinions but also in their position that the authentic hadith is really their madhab that's what they were seeking had they known it they would have followed it any comments or questions or corrections before we leave now 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 one of the ways that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prescribed for the believers to know the truth is by making each tihad of course, the ijtihad, the best ijtihad is the ijtihad of the scholars, the ulama. This is the ijtihad that is يعني, a basis for law. But still, even the common Muslims, they also make ijtihad on those things that they don't have the opportunity to go to the scholars in. And if we're, for example, traveling in the desert or outside of the city, and we don't know which way is the Qibla and it's time for Salat, we can make ijtihad. And he tried to determine by which direction we're traveling and the place that we're going to and perhaps if the sun is rising or setting. We can look at these things and try to determine by ijtihad which way is the correct qibla and pray in that direction and it's acceptable. And if we came to find out later on that it was a wrong ijtihad, the prayer is still accepted. But then after that we should pray in the correct direction. So ijtihad even of the common people in the condition where they can't go to the scholars is also a means for the Muslim to try to reach the truth. In those situations where we have no access to scholars, then we can also make the best ijtihad that we can, trying to reach the truth, and then following that which Allah directs us to. To the best of our ability, what we see as being true, we should follow it. Sayyid. The marriage of usul, the aqidah, is not, uh, and it's not allowed. Ijtihad is not allowed in the matters of aqidah. But actually, the scholars of Ahl Sunnah Jama'ah stuck closely to the clear text of Quran and Sunnah and that which was understood by the Sahaba, radiallahu anhu majma'in. For this reason, we find that there is very little difference about almost any matters in matters of aqidah amongst the scholars of Ahl Sunnah Jama'ah. Because they didn't open the issues of aqidah to ijtihad. I mean, they didn't try to make ijtihad in matters of aqidah. 
But they stuck to what came in the Quran and Sunnah. They said, "Call Allah, call Rasul." Whatever Allah said, whatever the Messenger Sallallahu said, this is what we say. And of course, as it was understood, يعني, by يعني, as the Quran was explained by the Prophet وسلم, and as the Sharia was understood by Sahaba ajma'in, this is يعني, uh, the way that the matters of Aqidah should be approached and people shouldn't try to use their mind and their intellect uh, to make ishtihad and to come to new conclusions. But we should stick to that which uh, they uh, laid down as based on the understanding of the Quran and Sunnah and we will find if we look at the books of the scholars in matters of Aqidah that there's almost no difference of opinion about any matter and even where there are differences of opinion usually it's a difference in the explanation yani difference in the way that they approached the explanation the expressions that they used or the view that they presented meaning the side of the issue maybe one scholar discussed one side of it and another scholar discussed another side of it but rarely do you find actually contradictory opinions in matters of Aqidah from the scholars of Ahlu Sunnah or Nirat. And even if any scholar, <coughs> due to yani, his shortness, uh, falling short in understanding a text of Quran and Sunnah, and therefore reaching an understanding that's incorrect, even if that happened on some occasion, the majority of the scholars agreed upon the issue, contrary to what that scholar said, and made clear what was the correct opinion, and the people follow the opinion of the majority and leave yani, that opinion which and it was uh, perhaps a misunderstanding of many of the scholars is possible because the scholars are human beings and sometimes even the clear text of Quran and Sunnah might be understood by two different human beings in more than one way there's, there's a possibility of it in any case it's something rare and the difference of opinion in Aqeelah you can hardly find them if you look at the books of the scholars from the different madahib and if they reach different conclusions in matters of secondary matters of jurisprudence on so many issues but those same scholars, when they talked about Aqeelah, they all said the same thing. If we look at what Imam Ahmed said in Usul al-Sunnah, and what Imam uh, Tahawi said, who is a Hanafi scholar in his uh, Aqeelah Tahawiyyah, and what Imam Ibn Qudama is saying in Numat al-Atiqat, and the other books of the scholars, if we look at them, we will see that all of them are basically saying the same thing, although sometimes they may use different words. Tayyip. سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت استغفرك وأتوب إليك